Wowza! Welcome to Animation Celery! Classic conversations about crunchy cartoons. Whoa. <laughs> I, I knew I screwed it up as soon as I started saying it, but I just figured, eh, I'll go with it. Well, you know, the show must go on. And in that note, cartoon showtime, cartoon showtime, here comes Woody, also known as Micah. And Matsy. Here on Animation Celery, we watch cartoons that we have assigned each other to watch, and then we come back and talk about them and review them. And we're going to do that today with some Woody Woodpecker cartoons, if you believe it, along with something weird from Japan and something eh, weird, if you think about it, from America. <laughs> but first, let's talk about whatever weird thing Micah wants. Have you been watching anime? Uh, well, yeah. But huh. uh, <laughs> actually, the the point I want to bring up is uh, <laughs> our spotty fan engagement so far. Okay. So uh, I presented, I, I, I put myself on the line saying that if anybody asked me to watch Space Jam, I would go watch it. Oh. And luckily nobody did. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Right, right. So I've, I've I, you know, I felt free to listen to some spoilers for it. Mm -hmm. And uh, wow, what a bullet that I've dodged. <laughs> Apparently, it's pretty terrible. Mm. One of the uh, harder indictments being that the first Space Jam is approximately 90 minutes long. Okay. And in this one, it takes 90 minutes for them to get to the basketball game. I have seen at the very least that they do have uh, a reference to Elmer-shaped Bugs Bunny. Oh, okay. Yeah. I gather the whole movie's like that, you know, where it's like, hey, here's a thing. Mm. Here's a thing. Hmm. And remember, I was telling you that uh, all the Warner Brothers properties are in it, basically. Right. Well, all of them are in it for approximately four or five seconds. Great. So, yes, you get to hear Austin Powers go, yeah, baby. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the one bit that I've seen, I... um. Uh, this new Space Jam is the subject of, at least here in Canada, I don't know about other places, but it's the subject of McDonald's current Happy Meal. Oh, and yeah. so McDonald's has various decals on their windows and stuff of the characters, including a cartoon LeBron James. And mm. the thing that caught my eye instantly is the fact that the tune in Toon Squad is spelled T-U-N-E. It's weird, isn't it? It's so like, I'm thinking like, is that, but they, cause the, my immediate thought is Warner brothers mm -hmm. established T O O N as the spelling in tiny tunes. Right. But I think traditionally so, it is U N E, isn't it? In well, I don't, tunes. I, I'm not, I mean, I guess now that you yeah. say it that way, because there's merry melodies in Looney Tunes. It is. Yeah, so I, I guess that I makes mean, sense, but it's just weird. Yeah, it does look weird. Yeah. But, you know, for now, I don't have to watch it. So Good. let's see. I, I downloaded Puzzle Quest 3 early access. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, It's OK. It kind of, you know, it's kind of therapeutic to uh, hammer out some match threes and have that result in some things. But it does have a, sort of a freemium tax to it. Oh. And I, I don't even mean that I'm spending any money. But I mean, like, all those games, 
have uh, a million different resources. Right. I guess it's like giving you a wide swath of things to buy, if you will, right? Or yeah, like, gen- generally there's something that you earn in the game for free, and then there's another currency that you can use to speed things up that you get much more rarely or you can buy. Right, but also just a million different kinds of currencies and different engagements, right? So like, hmm. oh, well, if you do the tournaments, then you get this thing, for which you can buy those things. And uh-huh. um, you need to have these things to level up these kinds of equipment, but then you need a special thing to change the rarity of your equipment and then level it up with a different quantity of thing. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's the kind of thing that comes into like MMO style things like Destiny 2. Right. And there's so many tiny little icons that you're hard pressed to remember or even figure out what you've just picked up. Huh. Weird. Yeah. It's weird, so, to, it's weird to hear that in Puzzle Quest. Right. Well, it, the end result is that it kind of gives you some kind of anxiousness, right? Where mm. uh, it's like having multiple email accounts and they're all full. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So. It's it's kind of fun. It's a time waster anyway. And like I said, you know, I, I like making rows of red stuff all together and feeling the exhilaration of stun locking my enemy. But. Yeah, I like Bejeweled a lot. I never really got into Puzzle Quest because I found really quickly that taking turns with an opponent made it so the real strategy wasn't making the best move you can. It's making sure that you're not setting up something good for your opponent. Like if you see, oh, if I just do this, then I'll have a a five in a row over there. You don't do that because then your opponent's going to get the five. So you're really just kind of making in an optimal, suboptimal moves for the sake of not giving your opponent any moves. It's like high level Scrabble where you build a whole bunch of two letter words in parallel (laughs) so that the person can't do anything except do the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty miserable. This one doesn't really have that, as far as I can tell. Like, even when you do PvP, you're not Mm -hmm. really player versus player. You're player versus computer-controlled approximation of a player. Well, yeah, that's what Puzzle Quest was, too. Yeah, and he's not doing a puzzle, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it's all right. But, like I say, it it kind of... It's a double-edged sword. And also, uh, you in those freemium kinds of games... No matter how smart you play and how much you figure, you know, I'm not going to pay a penny. I'm going to instead mold my life around the uh, (laughs) cooldown periods. Yeah, no. Yeah, I'm with you. I have some idle games on my phone. So you end up being behind the curve. So like, yeah, I can play smart and level up, but I don't actually have enough hit points to survive most things. (laughs) So I, I have to stun lock them and I have to be a little lucky. Right. And then it amounts to things like, you know, boss monsters. Uh, You can you're you're building up mana for your spells when you make matches of the appropriate colors. Yeah. But you can cast any number of spells that you've prepared. So when it comes to final areas, the bosses end up being me taking little hits along the way in order to make sure that I can alpha strike him as soon as I get to him. (laughs) Just blitz him with spells. (laughs) Tremendous. Yeah. I guess in contrast to that, I actually played a board game, which is, you know, anybody listening to this outside of COVID will not necessarily understand how novel that is. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Played some Cleopatra and the Society of Architects. Okay. 
I, I, you might have played that one, yeah? Mm, doesn't sound familiar. It's overproduced or maybe just right. It, it, you end up using the box. Uh, I can't remember if it's the lid or the base. I think it's the lid. You end up using the box lid as the palace. Okay. And then you have like a square board in front of it, which is the pathway up to it and a square board on top. And you have like a little quarry of plastic parts. So you're building the walls around the box lid and the door frames. And on top, you're putting the mosaics and the throne and, you know, sphinxes and obelisks leading up to it. Mm -hmm. So that part's all very, very cute. Yeah. And uh, it's also got a scoring system that's kind of cute where, you know, you get you get talents, which are points, basically, for making right. all these things. But uh, you also get corruption. You got these little pyramids that you drop your little corruption coins into. Right. OK. Um, and you get corruption for various things. Uh, most often from, you know, you just your cards have it. Right. So a regular card may, maybe gives you one stone. But this card gives you two stone and a corruption. Right. And the way it goes is at the end of the game, whoever's the most corrupt gets eaten by the alligators. And then the, re <laughs> then the rest of the people compare their talents to see who won. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty That's cute. That's an older board game, I guess. So anyone, look anyone looking at it now will probably have to find out in the secondary market. But uh. Anyway, that's uh, a nice quick little summary of what I've done. Uh, how about you, Matsy? I got bonus content. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last week's episode, uh -huh. we reviewed the first four episodes of The New Adventures of He-Man. Oh, after I declared I might not watch another one for the rest of my life? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You did, eh? Well, here's what happened. Yeah. Uh, as I was editing and putting up the podcast and everything, um, I looked at uh, Wikipedia just to make sure that I had the episode titles all, you know, like the correct spelling of honor and stuff like that. Okay. And what I discovered is that they're little synopsis of the episodes indicated that the first five episodes of the series were a five-part miniseries, which makes sense because it was airing Monday to Friday. Oh, okay. So by reviewing the first four episodes, we only did 80% of our job. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Um, that also explains why there was so much continuity that we, one of the f pieces of faint praise that we gave it. Yeah probably doesn't extend to the rest of the series. Oh, okay. So here I'm going to do a quick summary right. of episode five, which is titled The Ultimate Challenge. Okay, I'll put my imagination in full blast here. Okay, you got that Skeletor face in your head? Oh, yes. All right. All right, so on his ship, Flog begins to doubt the faith he put in Skeletor pointing out all the resources they've lost following Skeletor's plans, specifically mentioning being gooed and feathered. <laughs> I was going to bring it up. <laughs> being devil gooed. Yeah. <laughs> We've been gooed and feathered. <laughs> but of course, because Flog is an infinitely pliable idiot, Skeletor convinces him just by reminding him that King Flog sounds nice. Hmm. Meanwhile, the scientists, those ridiculous scientists, have finally made a worthwhile invention. They've created a machine that can detect holes in the planetary shield. Hmm. 
On Primus, Adam and Drissy are doing that thing where a male character and a female character apparently start developing a romance where they're having a conversation, but the man puts his hand on a surface and leans kind of close while he talks. Okay. Typical Adam. Yeah. And just then, an image of Skeletor appears in the sky, addressing the planet and challenging He-Man to a winner-take-all final battle on the Cameroon asteroid. Adam hurries to talk to Sebrian, leaving Drissy to say, Men. Yeah. Sebrian doesn't like the idea of taking the bait for the obvious trap, and Adam doesn't either, but he thinks it's worth the risk to end the war between humans and mutants and get rid of Skeletor once and for all. Which had me thinking, how many times in the past has He-Man had the chance to get rid of Skeletor once and for all, but saved his life because he's good? Right. He, his main worry, though, is leaving Primus undefended, but Sebrion is confident that they can fend off mutant attacks because they have a hole sensor now, and they can tell where the mutants will come from. And they have Hydron's knife. Yeah. <laughs> um, Skeletor is pleased with his plan. He has a really weird line here. He says, sometimes I'm so smart, I wish I was born twins. So He-Man gets into a spaceship, and Hydron is skeptical of his ability to pilot it, but He-Man claims that the way of the magic will be his guide. Meanwhile, the scientists begin modifying the whole sensor. They think it's so powerful that they start giving it all kinds of other disparate tasks, like, get this, counting all the stars in the tri-solar galaxy. Huh. Hey! Goobers, it's three, and it's not much of a galaxy. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) anyway, they overload it and it breaks down. Maybe they were just modest. (laughs) They were just (laughs) trying to get it to count to three. (laughs) And that's what overloaded it. (laughs) It's like Alcon wanted to, like, catalog the history of scientific development on the planet. And they all they all had different things they wanted to do. <laughs> it, 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 count, it counted to one and they're like, something's gone wrong with the second bit. <laughs> <laughs> they can't count this and holes in the shield. <laughs> um, so anyway, without He-Man around, Sebrion dispatches Hydron, Flipshot and their three friends who still haven't been introduced to patrol the planet in the absence of the sensor and He-Man. Hydron says that he'll take the light side of the planet and Flipshot can monitor the dark side, indicating Mm. to me that two people are capable of patrolling the entire planet. Or are they? Anyway, now that He-Man is on his way to the Cameroon asteroid, the the mutants plan their full-scale invasion, while Skeletor privately reiterates to the viewers that he plans to double-cross Flog and conquer Primus for himself. On the way to the asteroid, the sorceress contacts He-Man and confirms that he's doing the right thing and reminds him to see with his heart, not with his eyes, and the most incredible force is inside. So this really is just Star Wars. Right. The mutants attack Primus because obviously the patrol was not effective. And Mera now plans to take the starship Eternia, which is the only ship fast enough to catch up with He-Man. But Hydron and Flipshot are battling mutants, and there's only one person who has ever had any other experience piloting the Eternia. And that's that idiot Kaz. Oh, yeah. Oh, it happened. 
It happened. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He-Man meets Skeletor on the asteroid. But before the battle can begin, the Eternia shows up and starts shooting. Skeletor is appalled that He-Man would cheat and retreats instantly. But only because he has a cheating trap of his own. He has a gravity generator that causes all the surrounding asteroids in the asteroid field to begin raining down on Cameroon. He-Man instructs Drissy, not Drissy, Mara and Kaz to save themselves. Having learned his lesson in episode two, Kaz obeys. The sword is knocked out of his hand. He's all hope is lost. And He-Man now heeds the sorceress's words using his heart instead of his eyes and stands perfectly still in the middle of the asteroid storm with his eyes closed. Yeah. Back on Primus, the humans are overwhelmed and captured by the mutants, including the starship Eternia as soon as it arrives. Mara and Kaz share the sad news of He-Man's fate, and Sebrian prepares to surrender to Flog. The ceremony will take place in front of the Fountain of Freedom, and Skeletor makes a strong-arm show of cruelty by destroying the statue on top of it. However, incredibly... He-Man, with his sword, emerges from the ruins of the statue. He summons a storm of rubble to drive off the mutants, and Hydron and Flipshot finish the the job, driving them back to the mothership. And as the humans are freed, He-Man claims that his heart wouldn't allow his body to be defeated, and he will always be there to defend Primus. What an entrance, too. (laughs) It was... it was ridiculous! It yeah. was just like seeing this, I, like I, it, it's, it's like a kind of a like mechanical horse statue, sort of like stridor. Yeah. And the top half of it is blown off. And then you just see like this blue light and the tip of the sword begin rising out of it. And then He-Man's hand and he just he just lifts out of the statue like the most deus ex machina. Oh, I almost forgot the most yeah. important part. The PSA at the end. OK, OK. This is this might be. The most incredible PSA I have ever heard in any cartoon. Hmm. It was amazing. Okay. Drissy and Sebrion are in a library and Drissy's looking at a book and she says, I'm glad I live on Primus. And Sebrion says, I agree. But what makes you say that? And she says, I've been reading about all the problems they used to have in the old days, like heart attacks. And Sebrion says, oh, yes. But the solution to that problem was simple. It's that everyone, even kids, should contact their local Red Cross and learn CPR. They even have a children's program. And then Drissy says, I know I would take that class. And then she looks at the camera and says, why don't you? Oh, they did it. They did it. Okay. (laughs) Man. (laughs) Boy, that made me laugh. Yeah. Just as soon as she said heart attacks, I had to pause and walk <laughs> away for a second. <laughs> heart attacks. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, maybe it sounds like there's some juice left in this series after all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's the end of the miniseries. So who knows? I think the next episode might be called like the pen is mightier than the sword. Or is it? Oh, that's the whole title. I think so. Uh you know, Tila appears in that series as well. Does she? Yeah, she's redesigned as well, though, so... Mm, yeah, of course. There's some confusion when she appears, because she actually looks more like She-Ra. <laughs> oh. But maybe that's going to be like a whole 
Adam Drissy, He-Man, Tila sort of Yeah, conflict. yeah, I was thinking that. Uh, whatever. Anyway. Hmm. So, speaking of heart attacks, let's talk about Woody Woodpecker. Yeah, you could have a policy against heart failure. <gasps> the cartoon that we're looking at first is Woody Woodpecker, Wet Blanket Policy, directed by Dick Lundy in 1948. So, we see in the middle of an otherwise prosperous city, the rundown shack of a shady insurance broker, Buzz Buzzard. He sets a greasy run down a sloped sidewalk, so an unsuspecting Woody slides into his office and is automatically hit by a mallet. This accident is the premise set by Buzz for why Woody should get an insurance policy. The scammer forces a signature on a policy with Woody's ink-dipped beak, and the policy will pay out to Buzz if Woody should die. And I ask you now, does this make sense? Wouldn't Buzz be paying this out to himself? Huh. Anyway. That's, you know what? That's, yeah. int- I mean, he, hmm, I hadn't, I hadn't considered that, but yeah, I guess, <laughs> I, yeah, uh, hmm, um, huh. I'm sure so he's got with, it figured out. Yeah, with the cartoon ruined, we'll go on here. <laughs> uh, so the smaller bird runs away from a hail of shotgun fire to hide in the file cabinet, but foolishly, he categorized himself into the woodpecker folder. I like that Buzz has a whole folder devoted to women. Yeah. <laughs> or you could say a whole bunch of other folders that are women-free. <laughs> Maybe it's a mark of disdain. Ugh, put that in the women folder. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Buzz then tries to murder Woody by sharpening his head into a pencil sharpener. Luckily, Woody is tunishly resilient and just pecks at Buzz while in his temporary pencil-shaped form. Then it becomes a big chase. The most imaginative segment in it is a punch-up and pursuit that takes place trapped under the wallpaper. The culmination is Buzz Buzzer trying to force Woody Woodpecker down into the pit of alligators that he keeps under a trap door <laughs> in his rundown office. <laughs> and Woody ends up reversing the situation and knocking Buzz down there with a mallet, maybe the same mallet as before, and a besought Buzz Buzzard leaps out with all the alligators in tow, their jaws chained to his tail and each other's in a series. Woody rides on the last alligator and gives us his trademark laugh as he destroys the insurance policy. So, um, one thing. The beginning of this cartoon is a really long version of the Woody Woodpecker theme with the lyrics. Yeah. Yeah, the one that stuck out to me was, he's a pecking it all day long. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Did you look up the story behind that? No, no. So apparently the Woody Woodpecker song had just come out uh, as a record. Oh, boy. Um, And it was a smash hit. And so Walter Lance just said, we have got to put that. What cartoon are we making right now? Wet blanket policy? Okay. Make sure that the first minute of that is just the Woody Woodpecker song. You know, I looked away. I looked away while that song was playing, not realizing that the cartoon proper had actually started. Yeah. And it doesn't match like the action doesn't match the sound because they put it in after the fact. Hmm. Okay. well, that was the first appearance of the Woody Woodpecker song and got that. This is 
the first and only animated short ever nominated mm. for an Academy Award for Best Original Song. Oh, boy. The Woody Woodpecker song. The standards were low. <laughs> it's it lost. okay. It, it yeah. lost. Yeah. Uh, well, boy, if you check out all the uh, animated uh, shorts that have won awards over the years, you got some pretty <laughs> odd, well, heck, features too, for that matter. Yeah. But um, hey, this one's got an intermediary kind of woody design. Like, you know, the first woody design is sort of ugly and oafish. Yeah. <laughs> so he's not, he's not that old uggo. But he's not quite to the sterile later version that you see on television. Yeah. I mean, like on, on like a regular half hour segment show. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, as I alluded to with the uh, cartoon Showtime song. Right. Um, he didn't even have that voice yet. Oh, this, this Woody's voiced by Ben Hardaway, uh, who's also an animator and director. Mm-hmm. And his, probably his biggest lasting legacy is... Uh, having a nickname from whom Bugs Bunny gets his name. Oh. Do you know that? I did not know that. Bugs Bunny had different names when he was created, but on a model sheet uh, that was for a, uh, oh. a cartoon directed by Ben Hardaway, he is known as Bugs's Bunny. Yeah, Ben Hardaway's okay. nickname is Bugs, yeah. Huh. I didn't know that, but like as soon as you mentioned the model sheet, I could see where that story was going, yeah. Yeah, huh. yeah. Cool. So, yeah, just just like uh, Dale's dad, his name, his nickname, at least, was Bug. <laughs> so I like this version of Buzz Buzzard, though, with his lower jaw and his beak covered in stubble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's for a second. I thought it was weird. It's like, boy, they're really they're really kind of scrambling if this bird is like the main villain. And then I realized yeah. that the cartoon was about a woodpecker. Sure. Hey, you know what, though? Woody Woodpecker's got a pretty broad uh stable of recurring villains kind of yeah what's oh shoot well there's wally walrus so apparently the way it goes is that wally walrus was kind of his main antagonist at first and then buzz buzzard became more popular starting with this cartoon so they started phasing out wally walrus and then later they introduced uh what's his name dooley yes you'll i mean we'll get there but and then he started to surpass Buzz Buzzard. And so it was like this chain of like, you know, villains, each more popular than the last, supplanting themselves in uh, menacing Woody. Well, the first Woody is a complete jerk. So Wally Walrus is more his victim than anything. Yeah, that's true. Wally's just trying to drive a car or whatever. and Yeah. And then uh, it's not just Woody Woodpecker's design that gets sanitized over time but his role right to where yeah he's he's just like bugs bunny where somebody gets on his case first and then he's mean to them right by the way speaking of which <laughs> uh looking at his rogues gallery people say batman has the best rogues gallery i think it's Woody woodpecker okay <laughs> uh one that i especially like is ms meanie who is oh. just a mean human woman <laughs> i think i might vaguely remember her She's got a really long nose. <laughs> She's in those later cartoons. Oh, but I, like I kind of remember her now. Yeah. I like yeah. that she's just a grumpy woman. <laughs> Is she voiced by June Foray? Probably. It's been a long time since I watched a Ms. Meanie cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it doesn't say. But you'll like this. Uh, <laughs> Dooley. 
He's going to be featured in the later cartoon, but his full name is Dapper Denver Lully. Gooley. Sorry. Dapper, da- Den- Dapper Denver Dooley. Yeah, yeah. I knew there was more to it. I just couldn't think of what the other two words were. Which is funny because yeah. he's not dapper at all. No. <laughs> Where were we? Yes, we're talking about uh, uh, wet blanket policy. Yeah. Uh, there's a weird thing. It takes a really long time for Woody to utter his first words in this cartoon. Yeah. I noticed so that long too. Th- I thought he'd be mute, hmm. which would seem like a really strange thing to do to Woody Woodpecker. Yeah, he does have a good line. The one good line is, you'll collect this policy over my dead body. Yeah, that is good. <laughs> He's also got his secondary laugh. His little <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I noticed yeah, yeah. that too. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I thought that one bit with the uh, wallpaper is like extended period of gags, mm-hmm. which I got to say, I don't think I've seen before. I vaguely remember it. I thought the the best one was uh, there's there's various times where they come to an open archway. And, you know, <laughs> sometimes they like go over the archway, but there's one where they ostensibly appear to go behind the archway and just disappear like they're behind yeah. it. Behind yeah, the yeah. Open. I, it's kind of weird to explain. I, I, I wonder if everybody would get it if they saw it. But yeah, I was kept waiting for him to go up and around it. Yeah. That's yeah, the the, it's I a guess whole it's, series of different I guess gags it's too there. obvious. Yeah. And then, of course, there's that alligator pit. Yeah. Which, you know, I think this is the third alligator pit we've encountered on Animation Celery. There's Alibaba. Yep. And there's um, Mighty Heroes with the ghost oh, house. Oh, right. Was that Sharks? It was, oh, was it? It was alligator. I I don't remember, but yes, like I think a, it was alligators. A, you you very much could be right, but yes, you're right. The third pit with snapping yeah, creatures in the bottom. <laughs> yeah, maybe look it up. So I wonder if there's like an old movie, and the best I could figure out is there's an old movie called The Mask of Fu Manchu, which has an alligator pit mm-hmm. that I guess probably made an impression. Yeah. Huh. Hmm. So like looking at these. We've had a chance to look at a lot of these old cartoons now. Some of them good, some of them bad. Yep, yep. And one thing, I guess it shouldn't surprise me because they're, you know, six odd minutes, is uh, how simple they are. Yeah. Like, not a lot happens in this. It's a chase, and then there's a different, a few different series of gags, you know? Right. And But not that many. Like, in your mind, you think there's a lot more gags when you think of these cartoons. Yeah, well, it's all gags, really. It's like, here's the problem. You think, you think that it's got more layers than it does, right? <laughs> that, but I'm, no, I'm talking about the good ones, too, right? Like, we're thinking about when we, when we watched uh, the Mark Anthony cartoons. Right. That They're awfully simple, too. They are, you yes. You summarize them in a breath. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, I mean, they were cranking these things out pretty fast. They didn't have a lot of time to write them. Oh, my God. This is... I can't remember how... Which, how, how much, I think the second Woody cartoon I'm going to talk about is like the 84th cartoon. Something like that, yeah. Unbelievable amount of Woody Woodpecker cartoons. Well, you know, their cartoons were drawing people into the theaters at that time. Right. Especially Academy Award nominated ones like this. <laughs> well, it had that song in it. Right, right. Yeah, so any more thoughts on this, on this uh, um, wet blanket policy? Not particularly. I mean, it's just <laughs> I was mainly thinking about the other cartoon that I gave you. Um, oh, and yeah, this yeah. And this one paired with it nicely. 
Um, but also like, you know, there's history in this. Like it's the first appearance of that Woody Woodpecker song. Um, it's, it's amusing. Like it's, it's a quintessential, it's a quintessential Woody Woodpecker cartoon, you know, like you don't, you don't really have to, you know, like the early ones you're saying, like, you know, where Woody's just a jerk. It's like, you don't, you don't really have to preface it. Like they hadn't really figured out Woody yet. It's like, no, this is what a Woody Woodpecker cartoon is. So here's a premise. And also another thing that I liked about it is the fact that Woody is not always getting the best of buzz. Like there's a shot, there's a scene where, um, they're both running through two open doors in a circle constantly. And then, you know, Woody does the thing where he jumps out and Buzz is just still chasing himself. Right. And then Buzz stops and notices, and then they start chasing again. And then Buzz is smart enough to close the door so that Woody slams into it. Yeah. That's the kind of thing, like, in this, there's a back and forth where it's not just Woody trying things and succeeding every time. There's a back Mm. and forth between the two of them, where sometimes... Buzz, you know, he reaches in and finds Woody in the woodpecker folder. And sometimes Woody slips out from underneath Buzz while he's jumping on his body and causes Buzz to fall into the alligator pit. Right. It goes both ways, which is Hmm. which is more interesting than just the the character you're supposed to like being an unhindered jerk the entire time. Hmm. Well. Speaking of unhindered jerks, <laughs> well, well, we'll put a pin on your on on the insurance theme to yeah. Woodpecker. So yeah. we'll come back to the bit. Let's talk about Charge Man Ken, Chargey Man Ken. I Chargey, say. it's it's spelled Charge Man, but yeah. I looked up. Whenever I see a Japanese word like this, I like to look up the uh, the kanji or the katakana or whatever that it's yeah, yeah. it's written in to see how they mean to produce uh, to pronounce it. Oh, and, and they say it that way too. Yeah. Yeah, and this is Chargey Man Ken. Yeah, yeah. It's a series from Japan, obviously from 1974 that aired on TV, and this is it had 65 episodes, just like unbelievably. He did. I mean, well, yeah. I guess that's you know, that's like what 12 weeks? No, not 12. Thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah. These are real short, too. So that's true. But I mean, I don't know the, you know, the ins and outs of Japanese television. Mm. Right. Anyway. Yeah. This is just like a seven minute cartoon of which the first minute is the theme song. The idea of Charging Man Ken is that Ken Izumi is a 10 year old boy who is also a superhero. Uh, The series takes place. I remember I said this aired in 1974. Mm. It takes place in 2074. <laughs> Just like Gundam. <laughs> in a futuristic city, it's the the main issue here is that there's lots of technology because it's the future. Mm. And there are a race of aliens called Geralians who are constantly attacking. I didn't really look up why. But um, yeah, I don't think there's a good reason. Okay, yeah. So it's basically just this 10 year old boy who is a superhero. And when when he is exposed to any light, he has the ability to transform himself into Chargy Man Ken. And I'm not really sure if this is like a more powerful version of the superhero he already is, because because people seem to recognize him as Ken. Like they seem to recognize that he's a big deal. Yeah, he's no secret identity. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 
I like that he's in school. People know that he's a superhero. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. So, so that's the basic idea. He is a boy who is a superhero can turn himself into a more powerful version of himself. It's in a hundred years in the future. And he fights aliens called Geralians. Mm-hmm. All right. So this particular episode is called Dynamite in the Brain. And the story is that at a movie theater, Ken and his little robot buddy, Barakhan, literally bump into a Dr. Volga of West Germany. And West Germany either still exists or exists again in 2074. <laughs> yeah, just like the Soviet Union and, and various things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Dr. Volga is immediately taken away by mysterious men, and Ken witnesses Volga, I guess, being shot. It's kind of hard to tell because this, this series kind of doesn't have Foley. There are very few... It does, just, just like a tenth of the time. Yeah, there are very few sound effects in this, and like, a gun was pointed and Volga slumped. Um, but Ken doesn't do anything about it. As the strangers drive away with Volga or Volga's corpse or whatever. Hmm. Later, Ken and his sister Karen and Barakan see a report on the news about a reception that's being held to honor Dr. Volga, which many of Japan's top scholars have been invited to. Because Dr. Volga, you see, is the designer of an underwater industrial city that's being built in Tokyo Bay. Now, Ken is immediately suspicious because he saw Volga murdered. And did nothing about it. But we, the viewers, are let in on the secret that this is a Geralian plot. They captured Volga and have reconstructed him with a bomb inside. Ken enters the reception. Again, he must be known because he can just get into this high security function. Yeah, and I like that the scientists address him by name, too. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, they seem to know who he is. Yeah. Um, he claims that Volga is an imposter, but the scholars just laugh it off. And here's the thing about Geralians. They don't have reflections like vampires. In this episode. In this episode, they don't. Yeah. Well, ap- well, apparently this is a thing about them. Like, yeah. That's yeah, how yeah. they can be identified. Yeah. And Volga is reflected in the mirror, which leads mm. Ken to doubt his own idea because he's thinking if Volga has a reflection, then he's not a Geralian. But then his super hearing detects the ticking of the time bomb in Volga's head. Ken transforms into Chargy Man Ken. And then abruptly he has Volga in his little spaceship, the Skyrod, and is being chased by the Geralian ship. Uh, Ken ejects Volga just before the clock strikes six, which I guess he knew was when it would blow up. Mm-hmm. And the Ursatz scientist crashes into the Geralians and explodes. <laughs> yes. And Ken and a Dr. Yoshizaka, who I guess is a recurring scientist friend of Ken's, they look over Volga's completed city and lament his loss. Mm-hmm. So apparently this, the budget for this uh, series was remarkably small. Yeah. Um, I did some calculations and worked it out to about... In today's money, $25,000 American per episode, which is pretty low when you consider that in 1986, they were spending a million dollars an episode on On gummy gummy bears. bears. (laughs) Yeah, which explains to be fair. Yeah, to be fair, that's three times as long, but still. Sure. 
but they cut it everywhere. No, no sound effects. Some episodes they don't. They'll just paint characters one color. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, a Wikipedia says that yeah. the animators just they were being paid so little, and they knew that it was so futile that they would just go to the beach instead of working. Like they <laughs> they just didn't care about making this show at all. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the, the lack of sound effects is really, it's, I've never, I don't know that I've ever seen this before. Cause it's really strange to, and it, you lose context for what's happening because you can't, there's, you can't hear what's going on. You know, it really puts starkly how the, uh, visually the transitions from scenes don't work either. either. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you're just abruptly here and there. And I mean, that's exactly it. It's like, like when I said Ken transforms into charge man, Ken and abruptly has Volga in the sky rod. Like that's like, he transforms the ship comes down from the sky and the next shot, he has Volga in the ship with him and is flying away from the Dralian ship. He has just teleported like the whole scene where they left the reception hall is completely mm. excised. It's one minute he's there summoning his ship, and the next minute he has the scientist and he's on the run. Like you can say one 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 thing for the show: it's not slowly paced. <laughs> it's not slowly paced. Uh, <laughs> it is bafflingly paced. Yes, I first got alerted to this from like a YouTuber named Kenny Lauderdale, uh-huh. who did a whole thing about how bad the show was. Where he like outlined every single thing that was wrong with the show and made it out to be the worst experience you could have. Right. And then I started watching it and I thought, you know, actually, this is pretty fun. It's stupid. It's <laughs> the thing I is a weird one for you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, here's the thing. To be really bad, mm. a cartoon has to be to some extent trying. Like right. when you can see that like effort has been put in, it's like we are actually making the next great epic and then it's not. Right. But this it's like, whatever, let's they gave us no money. Let's just throw out whatever we can. Like you can't take it seriously. Mm-hmm. I don't view this as like, you know, a serious anime that is supposed to be beloved by everyone. I view it as just this dumb thing that nobody cared about and you're not supposed to care about. So just watch it. And oh, no, no. Today, it's got like a cult following because well, it's yes. so crummy. Yeah. Today. But like, but that's what I mean. Like, it's it's not trying. You can see that it's not trying to be excellent. It's doing the best it can with the budget it's given. But it's just right. It's so slipshod that, mm-hmm. that you kind of can't fault it for being bad. It's like this adorable attempt it's like watching a toddler try to do something (laughs) you know there's there's some aspects to this that are that are legitimately fun like the uh, i think ken is pretty fun because like he's armed with a disintegration pistol that's one of the things i think i was regretting about picking this episode is he doesn't shoot anybody Hmm. and that's about all he ever does is disintegrate everything yeah wikipedia kind of says that he is really indiscriminate in killing oh, yes. it, all the Drillians he can see, whether they're attacking or not. His greatest asset is his lack of compunction for murder. Apparently not, because he sure didn't care about Volga getting murdered. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's why this, this episode is maybe one of the two especially famous ones for him ejecting Volga there. Yeah, he's kind of a sociopath, really. Yes, that's what makes it so fun. <laughs> and then I, I like some of the things in there. 
that visually are so bonkers, like when he transforms, how the uh, uh, the triangle on his belt buckle whizzes around in a circle. Well, apparently that belt buckle can summon like tornadoes or something. Sure, but just in his transformation sequence, it's pretty funny. And and his ship, they don't animate it in this episode, but you know that hoop on top of it? Yeah. It, I can't remember what the machine is called, but, you know, it, it, it loops like that. It wobbles, you know, so oh, if you yeah, were to yeah, spin yeah. a coin or whatever. Yeah, or like it's like the decaying spin of a hula hoop. Right. Constantly going on top. I sort of got the impression, like, from looking at it that I figured that's what it did. But yeah. at that point, it was so late in the episode that I think I had just subconsciously given up on the idea of seeing animation. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I... You know, this kind of fits into some interesting... I was thinking, this is kind of like uh, The Mighty Hercules. Yeah. That cartoon where you can just kind of watch some dumb stuff for a handful of minutes. Yeah, no, you're right. If what you want to see is a sociopathic kid blowing away aliens, <laughs> this is pretty good. Yeah, it's... I mean, it's, it's bad. It's it's bad, but it's not like you're wasting your time watching it. You'll be right. amused. You know, what's bonkers to me is this group later made Speed Racer, huh. which strangely to me looks worse. <laughs> well, I mean, it, you can see the same DNA there in the visual right. designs and everything. I mean, it's 70s anime. It has a style. I, I guess I guess Speed Racer has 20 times the amount of sound effects, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, 20 times zero is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, speaking of ticking bombs. Yes. How about that? Oh, it's Mr. Segway. Yeah. We have Woody Woodpecker, Misguided Missile, directed by Paul J. Smith in 1957. Here, it starts with Woody Woodpecker pecking at the ground in the park with the other birds. And he says literally, this is for the birds. While trying to steal a lunch, he sees a want ad in the newspaper for a super salesman for insurance, and it promises big pay. So while this insurance broker doesn't appear as shady as Buzz Buzzard's shack in Wet Blanket Policy, the business itself is called Fly-By-Night Co. <laughs> so Woody skips to the front of the line of prospective salesmen by dressing as a skunk. And we do end up seeing a seedy part of town when his new boss sends Woody to sell insurance at the low rent district, specifically Dooley's Alley. <laughs> Those things are marked on the map, low rent district <laughs> and an arrow pointing to Dooley's Alley. Also, a cute detail is that the uh, these places are on the other side of the train tracks as well. Of course. Yeah. So Dooley tries to sell a or rather Woody tries to send a sell a policy to Dooley. Dooley's a loudish bearded man and the skeptical rogue just beats up the new salesman for his trouble. And I, I love this guy's voice. He goes like, no, Woodpecker, you need the accident policy. Ha ha ha. He's got a good laugh. Oh, it's yeah. Kind of exaggerated. Ha ha ha. Oh, oh yes. Yes. <laughs> and you, you, you can see some uh, seeds in there, right? <laughs> This guy's like Nelson, adult Nelson Muntz <laughs> from uh, The Simpsons. Uh, so Woody, he's undeterred, and he lists the specific injury circumstances that the policy covers, and each one of them comes true as he lists it. Dooley is hit by a falling safe, 
run over by a streetcar, and falls, well, he's really pushed into a printing press. And he comes out covered in newspaper articles, including a prominent racing article that has bolded on his nose, wins by a nose. Wah, wah. Yeah. So the sequence of listed carnage and resulting abuses includes being smashed by a pile driver, struck by lightning, kicked by a mule, bitten by a dog, and then finally, from inside an alligator's jaws, Dooley is convinced to sign. He feels invincible and kicks Woody out, but the woodpecker directs him to check out the fine print, in which is declared that no coverage exists against a guided missile. And wouldn't you know it, Woody is setting a slow, nimble missile to pursuance on a deadbeat setting. <laughs> it's got a little dial for the target. Yeah. So uh, if you've ever seen this cartoon, you will recognize the sound effect for this missile. Oh, yeah. This is yes. this. You ask me to name one Woody Woodpecker cartoon that I remember. This is mm-hmm. it. Yeah, because of the sound of this missile. Yes, that that terrifying stalking missile. It, yeah, and then what, like a clarinet or something? It burns into your childish brain. Right, right. Ooh, horror. <laughs> so it, it it chases the schmo through a fence into the sewer and eventually traps him into a moving van. And after the explosion, Dooley is in traction in the hospital. The ticking timer of a toaster reminds him so much of the guided missile that he jumps out the window. But on the way down, he passes Woody on a ledge who convinces him to very quickly sign a policy. But once again, he's subverted by the fine print. This policy doesn't cover you if you jump out of a window. Woody issues his familiar laugh while reveling in the pain he's caused. (laughs) So there's the other through. (laughs) My cartoons don't have a through, but I did give you a sociopath to go with this sociopath. Yeah, true. And, you know, there's a ticking bomb. Yes. Yeah. Um, so this is later than uh, the, pr- the prior one I looked at. And the animation has cheapened more. Mm. And Woody has arrived at his dullest design. Yeah, I had to like double check and yeah. see if this wasn't made specifically for the TV series. Because I, yes. like, I just couldn't believe that this was a theatrical short. It doesn't look like one. Yeah, it's, it's in the transition, I guess. Uh, and the quality is quite similar to a Hanna-Barbera show. Yeah. Woody is voiced by Grace Stafford here, who I guess voiced him for a very long time. This is the first cartoon in which she's credited. Oh, yeah. She's Now, she probably voiced him before, but this is the first one where her name shows up in the credits. Ah, uh, I see. I see. You know, uh, Dooley is voiced by Dal McKinnon, who is also famous for voicing Gumby and frequently Archie Andrews. That's wild. Isn't it? Because this would seem to be his a his a game voice. Yeah. Like, hey nurse, bring me my breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, I really like him. I like his. <laughs> I like the way he looks. Yeah, he's cool. I like he's, his manner. He's sort of his like teeth. He's sort of like if Bluto had evolved. Right. He's he's sort of like uh, the cousin that Bluto doesn't like. <laughs> <laughs> A funny thing about this, so much <laughs> the inconsistency that Buzz Buzzard is making a policy that he himself has to pay out. In this one, 
I like that there's relief in having signed this policy, even though he's still being pursued by a guided missile or falling out of a, I, a I, tall building. I noted that, too. Of like, dude, you're still <laughs> in mortal danger. Like, you can't be covered if you're dead. I guess it's the placebo effect. Woohoo! I'm protected against this guided missile. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe once he is no longer a deadbeat, it'll stop chasing him. Right. <laughs> wow. You figured out the uh, trick, I guess. <laughs> There's some cute word gags in this show. Like in the paper when Woody's looking for uh, a job. I like that the jobs, he rejects all the ones that are hard work. And they progressively become shadier and shadier. Yeah. <laughs> Including uh, gravy train jobs and jobs for gold brickers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess Woody's still kind of a, well, he's really a maniac in this one. In fact, he's devolved. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought it was really strange and like kind of poor writing that like... Mm -hmm. Dooley, you know, you mentioned that Dooley is in the situation that the policy, every time Woody says that he, it covers him in a certain situation, he's already yeah. in that situation. Like, right. Like they're standing in the street and like Dooley is just, I think there's one where he's like standing on the streetcar tracks or something. And Woody says, you're covered if you get hit by a streetcar. And then like, it's, it's like that all the time. It's like Dooley under a pile driver. Yeah. Yeah. Dooley is already in the situation. Like there's no setup of Woody putting them there or anything. It's just kind of like yeah. somebody took these little action figures of Dooley and Woody and put them in this position and said, here's the next scene. Huh. It's kind of lazy compared to most cartoons that you look at, but well, again, these are short, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, they got to. I think that's the way it should be done anyway. They these gags have to snap one to the other, you know. I I guess it just looks weird, but you know, like I'm not blaming it. Like, it, well, you got to get those gags in there somehow. I guess. The star of this picture is the terrifying guided missile. Oh yeah, the <laughs> the image of it like slowly like turning around in a horseshoe shape, like just bending. Yes, bending. Like yeah. That's that's also burned into my child brain. Like there's so many parts of this that just I'm sure anybody who watched cartoons in the eighties well, or before that for that matter, knows seventies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Knows this cartoon. Like you might not know all the details of it, but you know that missile. You know that music, that tick tick tick. Oh, by the way, speaking of that tick 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 the nurse, when she's bringing the breakfast to Dooley, puts toast in the toaster, puts the toaster itself on the platter, and then covers it with, <laughs> with a, a towel. Yeah. Like a, yeah. <laughs> and brings it to him. It's, That's weird. It's it's another one of those things. It's like the gags that I mentioned before, where it's like, you know, it doesn't make sense. It's just done for the sake of this gag getting in there. Right. I mean, she could have put like a, what's the word for it? The thing they put over top, like a tureen? You know what I mean? The, mm. the, the silver right. dome right, thing right, they put right. up. Yeah, they could have, she could have used one of those. Sure. She's going to bring the griddle and then cook there for him too. It's really weird. Yeah. The coffee pot. Anyway, even though we dump on how cheap it is, this is a, uh, a cartoon with some impact. Yeah. Yeah. So. A lot of, lot of ticking clocks going on. <laughs> I was going to go by the terrifying angle, but. Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah. yeah ticking clocks. Man, three out of four. I should have picked a better first cartoon. Hmm. Anyway, uh, yeah, Clock Cleaners. This is a 1937 Mickey Mouse feature. 
And it is, you know, I didn't know. I guess, you know, I don't have any context for it because it was, what, 50 years before I, well, 40. Jeez, only 40? Only 40 years before I was born. Gosh, man, I was closer to this cartoon when I was born than I am now. That's wild. Anyway, um, it's it's more sophisticated than I thought Disney animation was in 1937. Yeah. But yeah, apparently this you know, they knew what they were doing. This is um, Mickey Mouse, Goofy and Donald Duck uh, working as a trio. They are clock cleaners, believe it or not. And they're cleaning the clock in a high clock tower, not just the face of it, but all the inner workings and stuff. And there's little, you know, scenes of like, Mickey riding around the second hand, scrubbing the numbers and Goofy's in there scrubbing the gears with a toothbrush, that kind of thing. The trouble really begins when Donald climbs atop the mainspring, which is clearly marked as dangerous and off limits. And as he's mopping it, his mop, his mop head gets stuck in the spring and his efforts to remove it cause the spring to spring unwound. Meanwhile, Mickey finds a stork sleeping in its nest inside the tower. He attempts to rouse the stork and to throw it out, but ends up thrown out himself, catching himself on a hanging rope. Donald now hammers the mainspring back into place, mostly, but gets into a fight with one lingering end. And I'm, I'm going to come back to this fight because it's interesting. <laughs> but... Uh, At the end of the fight, he's tossed into a gear, which knocks him back and forth and leaves various parts of his body, including his hat, knocking back and forth uncontrollably like a ticking clock. Now, Goofy is outside cleaning the clock's bell, and he's just there when four o'clock comes and he's assailed by the clockwork figures that toll the hour. Concussed more than usual by having his head inside a ringing bell, he deliriously wanders around the precarious edges of the tower, eventually falling off. And it's up to Mickey, who apparently saved himself from his earlier peril, to provide a safe path for him in real time, Buttons and Mindy style. Mm. <laughs> Just, Buttons and Mindy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I thought that would get you. Just when it looks like Mickey's efforts have failed and Goofy has plunged to his doom... He springs from a flagpole and catapults himself and Mickey back into the tower and onto the mainspring, which Donald has finally succeeded in repairing. The trio are flung from the re-ruined spring into the same gear Donald met before, and all three of them end up with out-of-control shimmying hips to the do 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 Arabian riff. Mm-hmm. Now, first thing that I want to get to is that fight with the spring. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Um, interesting fact about this. So the, um, it's Donald kind of yelling at the spring and it kind of talks back to him in a way. Like it's kind of a vocoded sort of electronic yeah. sounding, which is weird for 1937, but it's like, it's like the echo of his voice in the spring, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, Do you know about this, the controversy around this? No. Okay. So when I found this video on, on uh, YouTube, the video right below it was the uncensored version of the fights, the spring scene. Oh God. What does he say? So I looked this up. Now here's the deal. So 
this is the edited version. The version okay. that I found is Donald, and I'm not going to do Donald's voice, but he says, what's the big okay. idea? And the spring goes, what's the big idea? Right. And Donald goes, oh, shut up. Spring goes, you shut up. Right. Donald says, oh, yeah. Spring goes, oh, yeah. And now okay. Donald says, oh, nuts. And the spring says, says I. And then Donald freaks out and throws a hammer at him. Hmm. Now, this is the edited version. In okay. the original one, it's what's the big idea? What's the big idea? Oh, shut up. You shut up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then Donald said, says who? The spring says, says I. And Donald says, I'll bust you, you doggone snake in the grass. And then throws his hammer at the spring. Okay. Now. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Okay, yeah. Now. In the 80s, there is this group called the American Family Association. It's a Christian fundamentalist group that is, uh-huh. it's, you know, it's one of those crackpot, super Christian groups that's like, yeah, it's against gay rights and that kind of thing. I imagine they've had a Yu-Gi-Oh burning once in a while. Throwing some cards in a bonfire. Possibly, yeah. So, at some point, they, I think it was in the 80s or 90s, they managed to convince Walmart to stop selling the VHS of this cartoon. And the reason is, when Donald says, says who? Yeah. They kind of thought that in his duckish, incomprehensible voice, he wasn't saying, says who? He was saying something you, okay. bad word you, F you. Oh, wow. And when he says, I'll bust you, you doggone snake in the grass. Yeah. They heard snake in the grass as son of a bitch. <laughs> you know, what's weird is when you say it, I remember it. I can it. it there's some kind of sense memory in my ear that hears him saying snake in the grass. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so when as they've reissued it since then, they've they've edited it. The says who has been replaced with Donald saying on nuts from another cartoon, including mm. including Pluto audibly barking in the background. And then the I'll bust you, you doggone snake in the grass is just replaced by Donald's. Right. So that's so that's a fascinating thing about this cartoon. It's weird how even the most innocuous cartoon can have a story like how, Mm -hmm. you know, like how that uh, wet blanket policy was the first Woody Woodpecker cartoon with the song. And Mm. uh, misguided missile was the first one where Grace Stafford was credited. And this one that just seems like some weird 1937 cartoon has this whole story about Christian fundamentalists getting it censored. Hearing what they want to hear. And yeah, 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 yeah. Isn't that wild? Right. Yeah. And it's funny. He's like the least involved character of the three in this cartoon, too. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. But this is another of those cartoons. It's kind of a theme with all of these, except the uh, Charging Man Ken of, you know, the premise just being, here's the premise. Now, here's a bunch of gags for seven minutes. Yeah. And, you know, that's fine. It's, yeah. Because this, 
this is, I dare say, the best animated of the four cartoons. Yes, I would agree. Uh, it has some really sophisticated stuff. Like there was a sh- there was this one shot that I really liked where um, Goofy is walking along this plank and there's a bar of soap that slides on some water. Yeah, sliding yeah. towards him and they time it perfectly where he steps over the soap as it yeah. slides down. So he doesn't step on it. He just it his foot and the soap miss each other. And it's just so perfectly mm. choreographed and then it comes back and he steps on it anyway. But like that initial thought was like it just go, works so smoothly. It's just so perfectly timed out. Right. You know, this cartoon I'm not really all that afraid of heights. Yeah. But as a kid, this cartoon was scary. Oh, that tower is so high. Yeah, you see the tops of skyscrapers way below. It's like the clock it's face. like twice as tall as any other building in the opening shot. And then even forget uh Goofy's stumbling around. Mickey's carelessness. Yeah. Is yeah, it's shocking watching him just kind of like bounce around those clock hands and scrub stuff. Yeah. I like Mickey in this, actually. Um, I've been looking. I was thinking. I was looking. I've been seeing Mickey Mouse as just kind of, you know, he started as an attempt at a mouse and has just kind of yeah. evolved into the iconic look that he has now. But at this point, you can actually kind of take him seriously as an animal character, not unlike Goofy or Donald. Like he, well, this is his better design. Yeah. Where he's still got his white face and dot eyes. He does, yeah. And he, but he looks like he looks like an anthropomorphic mouse, not just some kind of weird ink blot. Yeah, so you're saying he's he's come from that, but he hasn't become the weird fleshy whites of the eyes that he's basically remained he, to this day. Yeah, yeah. Like this is a good like I actually I don't have any particular affection for Mickey Mouse, but I was immediately I, what's the word attracted like i yeah i appreciated this mickey mouse immediately like i well here's the thing i think that there, there's a few cartoons like this this is how mickey works best to me is when he's grouped with donald and goofy sure because then his competence is the offset to the goonery of those other two true yes Although he, so, he has his own bit of goonery with the stork, but even that's not his sure. fault. No, no. I think that he's kind of like Blackadder. <laughs> the other two are like Baldrick and Percy or George. <laughs> Interesting. So there's like, so there's, there's other good ones too. Like, uh, you know, Mickey's trailer. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Where, yeah, where they wake up and Goofy's driving the, the, the car that's towing their trailer and they've got lots, lots of... Uh, automated things in the trailer, like a press of a button changes Donald's bed into a bathtub. Right, right. Yeah. Wow. I forgot about that one. But but yeah, that one's good. Like this one is good. And then um, the feature Mickey and the Beanstalk has the three of them together as well. Sure. Yeah. That was part of um, uh, what was it? Make mine. No, uh, I know what you mean. uh, Not footloose and fancy free. Fun and and fancy free. Is it? Oh, I don't know. It, it one of the one of those compilations. Yeah, ones yeah. With like Ichabod Crane or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The singing whale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, that Mickey's the one with like the flesh face. I think, but. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, it was I. I accepted Mickey as a cartoon character that I just went along for the ride with, like Goofy and Donald, which I don't normally do for Mickey. 
Hmm. Like I, I usually, like I said, I just don't, Mickey is just this, this weird bloody logo and he's a character in this. Yeah. And I, I like at the end how, uh, just how angry he looks when he's, uh, uncontrollably jerking back and forth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He, he's as mad as Donald. Um, whereas Goofy is (laughs) just kind of, I like the, speaking of Goofy, it's interesting to see this like very, very, very early in his career before his laugh had changed from huck to yuck because in like goof troop and the like, you know, it's one of the things in the goof troop, a goofy movie uh, that Max is worried about is that the fact that he'll be laughing, this (laughs) will like slip out now and then. But if you listen to the way that Panto Kolvik does it in these early ones, it's more like, like there's no Mm. Y sound there. It's not, it's, Mm-hmm. And I thought that it was, it was kind of because, you know, that's the goofy laugh that I've been hearing for the last like 30 years. And so it's like, oh, it wasn't that is is interesting to hear that. Well, I guess he evolved pretty sharply considering like his, his first appearance. He's an old braying horse <laughs> and like a black and white and one of those black and white cartoons. He's just in the audience. So, yeah, he was dippy dog. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Got anything else to say about clock cleaners? I liked it. I think my my overall impression is I didn't know that Disney's animation got this good, this fact, this this fast, I should say. Um, I'm sad. I'm sad that Mickey fell from this grace because I really like this version of Mickey and weird controversy. You have very weird controversy. Uh, I think in recent years, they've tried to rekindle this kind of Mickey. Hmm. They've tried to, you know, make this triumvirate of uh, Mickey, Donald, and Goofy getting into these kind of goof-ups. Okay. Hmm. So it might be interesting to look at some of their newer ones. Yeah, maybe. Well, I think I think that's like the end of the episode. We just need to figure out the assignments. Yeah. Um, how about a movie? Sounds good. Let's, yeah, okay. Uh, we're going to watch a movie called Wolf Walkers from Cartoon Saloon. Which, yeah. if you remember way back, was the company that made the uh, Backwards Boy, Kulin mm-hmm. Doch. Uh, this is their, one of their uh, feature films, Wolfwalkers. We're going to watch yep. that. Yeah, typically when we assign each other stuff, maybe we've had a little look at it first, but uh, we're both going to come at this uh, without much. Yeah. I watched a few minutes of it today and thought, wow, this is cool. Oh, so, okay. Well, you've got a few minutes more than I do. So next week, Wolfwalkers. Uh, until then, thank you all very much for listening. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you want us to have a look at. You can reach me at DrabSwatch on Twitter. And you can reach me at AC Matsy on Twitter. And now, tick, 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 seller stalker slogan is approaching. Ah, I need a policy. I'll bust your, 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 your